0: Isaiah chapter 1, if you would, tonight. Let me continue where I was at this morning, the Lord willing. Isaiah chapter 10, I mean chapter 1, and the first several verses. I'm just going to read the first four verses, then move over to verse 16 and 18. Let's stand together for the reading of the Word of God. Isaiah chapter 1. I'm talking about the tragedy of being out of touch with God, the tragedy, and none of us in this room are immune to that, of getting out of touch with God, but there's nothing like the touch of God and enjoying the blessings of the Lord and knowing that He touched me. There's something special about that. There are special times in our life when God just does a work. He saves us, and that's the greatest miracle of all, but there's times when the Lord just touches us in an unusual way and reassures us and helps us to realize he walks with me, he talks with me, he tells me I am his own. The vision of Isaiah, the silver-tongued prophet he's referred to, the son of Amoz, which he saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem in the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, the kings of Judah, he prophesied over a period of about 40 years, 58 total including Shennacherib, the last one he dealt with, as far as being there when he was uh, reigning. But he spent most of his time under these four kings, and several of them reigned for numbers of years, like Uzziah did. And we'll see him again in chapter 6 when you begin to read the book of Isaiah. Hear ye heavens, and give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they have rebelled against me. The ox knoweth his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. Ah, that word all can almost mean, also mean woe. Ah, sinful nature, nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptible. And they have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are gone away backward. Now move over to verse 16, Isaiah chapter 1. Wash you, make you clean, put away the evil of your doings. From before mine eyes, cease to do evil. Learn to do well, seek the judgment, relieve the oppressed, judge the fatherless, plead for the widow. Verse 18. Come now, let us reason together, saith the Lord, though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow, though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If ye be willing and obedient, ye shall eat the good of the land, but if ye refuse and rebel, ye shall be devoured, and the sword for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. Let's pray together. Father, help me just to talk tonight for a few moments. May I be able, Lord, to have the mind of God and the Spirit of God to rest upon me. Thank you for the truth of God that's revealed to us in the book of Isaiah, those 66 chapters which parallel 66 books of the Bible, even divided almost like the New Testament and the Old Testament. What a great book it is and what truth is found throughout the pages of Holy Writ. I pray God tonight you'll help me to be a blessing in these few moments we have together and we'll thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. May be seated. I've been trying to save my voice, and I was lip singing a while ago, uh, trying not to use my voice much while I was trying to I love to sing, and uh, I was singing, lip singing with the choir, and Nancy looked over at me. I'm trying to lip sing, and I can't even do that in the choir. But, uh, you know, lip singing sometimes can uh, help you remember the words from time to time. And then we've got a new monitor in the back, especially the hymns, we can see those up here. Sometimes you want to turn around and watch the monitor, you can back there. And that's a blessing for the choir to be able to see the words also. And so I, I can got a monitor up there, maybe like Mr. Baden, Biden, put all my speech on those monitors I can read them to you. And I may get carried away and moved out of the direction. I'm understanding him a lot more as I get older, okay? But anyhow, Isaiah, one of the great prophets of the Old Testament, and I'm grateful that he is. Even his name means salvation of the Lord, and I read to you in closing today Isaiah 53, or almost at the close of the message, which is a, just a precious jewel in the book of Isaiah, Amen. and one that has been read over and over again, and never ceases to be a blessing just reading it, and knowing that Isaiah was prophesying to a people of Jerusalem and Judah, and they had rebelled against God. Even though he was a good preacher, as a matter of fact, he was one of the greatest prophets. He faithfully served All those many years, and uh, beginning sometime during the reign of King Uzziah and ending with Shennacherib, uh, he found himself prophesying and preaching uh, to these kings and to the nation. And there was good kings and bad kings, and sometimes they, they did well, but most of the time they were in rebellion, as this book is written, against God, and how sad that was. Hear, O ye heavens, give earth, hear, O earth, verse 10 again, hear the word of the Lord, you rulers of Sodom, give ear unto the law of our God, you people of Gomorrah. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices unto me? Saith the Lord, I am full of the burnt offerings of rams and of fed beast, and delight not in the blood of bullocks or of lambs and or he goats. Faithfully preach the word of God. Many believe that Isaiah was uh, sown asunder in his modern death. The Bible doesn't say that. But I was reading in Hebrews chapter 11, where the Bible says in verse 37, about those that kept the faith, they were stoned, they were sown asunder. And many believe historically that Isaiah was sown asunder under the reign of Manasseh, one of the most wicked kings ever reigned in Jerusalem, and probably was killed as a martyr uh, after his days of prophesying. The time of his ministry, the Bible teaches us that Judah was sinful and unjust as a nation, and Isaiah was the prophet that God raised up for that day. Now, many Christians, however, are out of touch with God. As, just as Israel was, they were out of touch with God. And nothing worse than all the world in trying to speak to them and preach to them. I said this morning, it says about Jeremiah, when he was preaching, they put their fingers in their ears and refused to hear what he had to say. Even though Isaiah has gone down as one of the great prophets of all time, he was godly and faithful, but they did not listen to his message and did not apply it to their life. And God is getting angry. As you read the first chapter of chapter 10, several times you find words like they rebelled against him. They revolted against him. They had religion that God said, I hate your religion. That's getting bad when God hates what you do. He hates your sacrifices. He hates your religiosity. He hated all that they were doing to try to appease themselves. But it was not bringing God glory and honor. And so as we talked about this morning, there's a tragedy of being out of fellowship with God. And he reigned during the area of these four kings, as I said, beginning with Uzziah, going down through Hezekiah, the good king Hezekiah. But I want to talk tonight about the rebellion of God's people and give you three or four things before we go to the house of how you can know and why you can see if you're rebelling against God and maybe the touch of God's not on your life like it once was. He was a very godly man. I said before about Isaiah, but the people refused to listen. Flat out rebellion against God. Rebellion is as a center of witchcraft. Almost taking the devil's side against a holy God. And here, Isaiah preaching to them, telling them they must not forget God. And we have a tendency to forget God when things are going good. I had a sermon I preached for years, beware lest you forget God. And usually when people forget God, it's during times of prosperity when things are going well, when things are peaceful, we have a tendency to forget God. You ever wonder why God allows things to happen to get our attention? And I think right now in the fabric of our society and across the world, there's a, there's a rumbling going on. There's a, a tumbling going on. There's a lot of mixed emotions around the world. And folks are still looking for somebody to fix the problem. Yeah. Well, he's coming, and he ain't the Antichrist. Amen. But he who fixes the problem is the Lord Jesus Christ. But during time of peace... We get sort of tranquil in our own life. Everything's going well. Got a job, got little money coming in, got a house, got food, got clothes on our back. And we're not in war, it don't look like, right with us immediately, even though we're in war all the time. It seems like somewhere around the world, America has been in a lot of wars over the years and still finds itself in a lot of other skirmishes and wars that are taking place today. But it's easy sometimes to forget God when everything's going all right. It's all right to pray sometimes when trouble comes, when peace has come. Peace is in filling the land. It's almost like we just take it for granted. Everything's going to be the same. Everything's going to be all right. It's just going to, it's going to pass. I'm going to have peace. Everything's going to be fine. I'll have a job. I'll have a house. I'll have food to eat. How come you think America is blessed of God and it is how are we going to be able to escape the judgment God put upon every other nation? You know why the, most nations are in darkness? Is because at one time they knew God. At one time they believed in God. At one time they served God. But somewhere along the way they forgot God and went into idolatry. And because of that they become very sinful. But in times of peace we think everything's all right. And right now we're in a turmoil of whether things are going to go good or bad. What's going to happen with the next election. What's going to happen with the next uh, uh, event that happens in America from earthquakes to fires, to water problems, uh, to contamination, uh, to uh, tragedy that happens on every earthquake that happens, every difficulty that comes. We find ourselves wondering what's going to happen next in America. A day of peace, however it seems like to be. Most people think we're just being blessed of God. It's going to be like that forever. The Bible says when they say peace, peace, sudden destruction should come upon them. So it's not going to be peaceful forever. Some people forget God in times of prosperity. Back in Deuteronomy, he says, when thou goest into the land, don't forget God who gave you all the prosperity you're going to have. He gave you the ability to make money. He gave you the ability to earn money. He gave you the ability to provide for your family. Don't forget God. Over and over again, there was that message in Deuteronomy chapter 8, beware lest you forget God. So the rebellion of God's people goes a long way back, and we're not immune to that. So first of all, Tonight the reason why sometimes we rebel against God is based on ignorance. Go to verse two of chapter one. Hear, O heavens, and give earth, give ear, O earth, for the Lord hath spoken. I have nourished and brought up children, and they now have rebelled against me. He said, The ox knoweth the owner, his owner, and the ass his master's crib. But Israel doth not know, my people doth not consider. Out beside of that verse or two, I put the word ignorance. There's a great lack of common sense and wrongdoings when we don't even know who brings things to us and who provides for us. God is the author and the giver of every good gift that cometh down from God above and whom there's no verbalist in the shadow of turning. And yet sometimes we forget in plumb ignorance, he said that even an ox knows who his owner is. Yeah, that's pretty good. I mean, an ox can recognize who is on. Mr. Key, my father-in-law, used to raise cows, and it was amazing to watch him. He'd come in the truck, and they'd all come running toward the truck. Now, when I pulled the truck down, nobody ran toward me. But when he got out of that, he started calling cows. I mean, they'd come running from all over the pasture field over there just to hear his voice and be close to him because they thought they were going to get something to eat. I'm sure what it was. But they were acceptable in the fact that they knew who he was. Now, I could call all day long. They'd probably never come unless I went out and got them by the head of the hair, or the head of the hair, by the hair of the head and and sort of gripped their nose and said, here's some food, dummy. Eat this. But but when he walked up, they were ready. And it's always amazing to watch that. Even an ox knows who his owner is. I mean, he's ready to hear what they have to say. Especially if a master is the one that breaks him and develops him and spends time with him and training him what he wants to do. He understands the ox. Understands who his master is. And even a master, even a donkey knows who the master's, where the master's crib is, where he's fed at. And uh, that's important to know because of the fact that so often we are prone to forget. It may be plum just out of ignorance that we forget what we should do. Would, would, would we forget who our master is? Do we forget who our master is? Do we sometimes through ignorance sort of get into a place where our life is not what it ought to be and God is directing us day by day and we're prone to forget? We miss the mark. We don't think clearly. and Sometimes we make dumb decisions. How many of you have ever made a decision that was plumb dumb? Just raise your hand. Now, not getting married, not not... Not having children, that, that's not a dumb decision. But sometimes we make decisions that are not good. And sometimes it's out of ignorance that we make those decisions. And it leads to a leaving God out of the picture. And God has to remind us, even though things are done out of ignorance sometimes, and we all do that, God still wants to help us in our life. And the ignorant sometimes becomes ungrateful and focus on ourselves instead of the plans that God has for us. I found years ago that what happened so, so many times in our life, is we have leftovers, we give to God. God wants the very first we have, the very best we have. But if we have a tendency when we're ignorant, we'll give God leftovers. I enjoy eating leftovers when there's nothing else to eat. Uh, mother, mother was was able to make a lot of leftovers when we, excuse me, excuse me, when when we was. When he was, we was coming up as children, and uh, I'm grateful for that, she could take us a lot of leftovers and make a good meal out of it. But every once in a while you want something fresh, you know, a brand new dinner, a brand new lunch, but oftentimes we get leftovers. Nothing wrong with that, but we don't ever give leftovers to God. One of the most tragic things in all the world is to give leftovers to God. God demands, should have, and should command, and we should be obedient to obey Him and hear the word of the Lord. We don't want to be like the Israelites, be like Sodom and Gomorrah, be like those who turn deaf ear to God after all he's done for us. We'll give him leftover time. If you take 168 hours out of a week, how many do you give to the Lord? Somebody figured it up one time. As, as far as actual doing things for the Lord, I know can go all day long. But you go to our Sunday school, hour to AM service, hour to preaching service, hour on Wednesday, that's four. And maybe you go to special service, you may do five or six hours a week of going to service. How long do you pray? How long do I pray? How long do we spend with God reading the Bible? How much time do we really devote just in doing fellowship time with God? And He lets us live and make a living and do all these things out here. And He gives 168 hours. If you tithe off of the 168, that would be what, 16.8 or 17 hours that we could devote to the cause of Christ along the way. Now, I'm not trying to break down our life. All 24 hours belong to Him. And every day should be a day we want to serve God. But how much time do we really give to God after what He's done for Seek Ye First, the Kingdom of God? Leftover time, leftover money. What's left over? I'm going to pay all my bills, and then I'll give God His part. And usually it's not the tithe. It's what's left over after you paid all your bills. Does not God want you to pay your bills? He does. And the first creditor is God Himself. He said the tithe is holy, don't touch it. And that's very important to Christian life as we learn to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. We sometimes give God leftover talent, abilities that we have to be used for God. That sometimes we use them in other places and where they could plug into a church and plug into a situation to be a real help in a church ministry. Use your talent for God that God's given you when you can find out where that is and plug it in by the good grace of God. But sometimes we do foolish things, make foolish decisions because of the fact we're just, i ignorant. I'm talking about all of us. I've done that myself. The Bible says in Jeremiah 4.22, For my people is foolish. They have not known me. They are, they are sottish. That word sottish, S-O-T-T-I-S-H, means stupid or silly. He said, My people, they are silly children, and they have none understand no understanding. They are wise to do evil, but do good and have no knowledge, Jeremiah 4.22. So first of all, the rebellion against God's plan and program is our ignorance and how sad that is. Thank God for his mercy and patience with us that he puts up with us. If I were God, I'd probably killed everybody around me. And then if you were God, you'd probably kill the rest of us. If we were God, we would not do things the way God does it. He's very patient with us. We get hard hardened, and ungrateful. Lamentations 3, 23. It is of the Lord's mercy that we're not consumed because His compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is thy faithfulness. Psalm 68, 19. Blessed be the Lord who daily loadeth us with benefits, even the God of our salvation. Thank God for the privilege of being saved, knowing the Lord Jesus. In spite of us, God keeps on blessing. In spite of what Israel did, God still blessed them. He brought them into judgment, however. Uh, He dealt with them and chastened them, but He still loved them dearly. Loved them with all of His heart and been proven to us over the years and down through the annals of time. I said this morning that God loves His children, and there's no doubt about John 3, 16, still in the Bible. And God commends His love toward us in that while we get sinners Christ died for us. Number two, there was iniquity that was found. Verse 4, the Bible says, And sinful nation a people laden with iniquity. 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 And that iniquity can take the touch of God off of your life. Sometimes living in sin, backslidden, drifting away from God, finding yourselves out here in, uh, far away from God, gripped by sinful addictions, you can be robbed of joy and how sad that is. And we become a bad example to those around us if we're not careful because of the fact, you know, if, if a Christian is out here drinking, can they go to heaven and still drink? Probably. You don't go to hell because you drink. You go to hell because you're not saved. Right. But if you happen to develop a habit of drinking, it's not going to be a good example for others. And somebody can stumble over top of your life and go into hell because they stumbled over your or my testimony I mean, being in drug addiction is sad, and we try to see folks saved and living from the addictions of life because they're saved, and yet it becomes a bad example to those around us. And the Bible says, Let our light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify the Father. He says, You're the salt of the earth. So sometimes we have to be very careful. You know, people call us hypocrites and pretenders and phony sometimes because they see two sides to us. They see Mr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. They see us one way at church, another way out in the world. I mean, I know folks over the years have told me, and I'm sure you've been around Christian people. On Sunday morning, they sing, oh, I love Jesus. On Monday, they curse Him. On Monday, they tell dirty jokes. On Monday or Tuesday, they're finding themselves doing the same things the world does. And yet, they want to act like everything's all right. But their iniquity has caused the touch of God to be left off their life. And that's sad. It's very sad. He says, ah, I said a while ago, it's translated woe. You're laden with iniquity, bogged down with the wickedness and corruption of your life. Chapter 1, verse 4 again. There's the influence we have on other folks. He says, ah, oh, sinful nation, a people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers. That's what you are. But he says, children that are corruptors, they have forsaken the Lord. The tragedy that most of us have in our life is sometimes our influence has been affected by a failure to do right, and we influence somebody else. Somebody says you will influence at least ten people for good or bad in your lifetime, and most of us will do more than that. And yet we come down to the life that we live. How many folks did we influence for good? How many folks did we influence for bad? What's going to be the history of our life as we live as an evildoer? How is it going to affect the next generation, the second generation, the third generation? What's going to happen down the road based on our lifestyle this generation? We ought to pray much for revival that God would take what we've sowed seed and been able to try to be an influence on people's lives, that we could be the very best we could for the cause of Christ, that God's will could be accomplished in our life. Someone said, my life shall touch a dozen lives before the day is done. Not twelve in a lifetime, but t- every day. Leave countless marks for good or ill, ever sets the evening sun. This is the wish I always wish, the prayer I always pray. Lord, may my life help others live. It touches by the way. Rebels don't like to sin all by themselves. Sometimes they affect other folks, and that's sad commentary in our lives. He says, you've rebelled against me. You've forsaken me. you revolt against me. Your religion is vain. That's pretty strong words. He's saying to his own nation, but he loved them. He's trying to get them corrected, so he sends a prophet to preach the word of God to them. Number four, verse four again. There's that uh, indifference they had. Ah, sinful nation. A people laden with iniquity, a seed of evildoers, children that are corruptors, that have forsaken the Lord. They have provoked the Holy One of Israel unto anger. They are going away backward. Here they have, they failed the Lord, they've gone the wrong direction. They went back into idolatry, they went back into false religion, they went back into self-satisfaction. And the Lord saw them and loved them, and raised up Isaiah and other prophets to prophesy to them. But most of the time they wagged their heads, they didn't want to hear it. They tired of hearing preaching, get out of my face, get out of my life, I don't want to hear that. I'll do what I want to do, live like I want to live, and it's nobody else's business. If I want to sin, I can sin. But when you're a Christian, it is God's business, is it not? And it's everybody else's business because we're supposed to be an influence on their life. I may go to heaven and have some things in my life that's not becoming to God, but how sad it would be if those who follow after me or follow after you stumble into hell because we did not live right. Help us to live righteously. Help us to live holy. Help us do the very best we can to please the Lord in every area of our life. He said they got indifferent, they got complacent. Forsaken the Lord don't like to be around Christians sometimes. They don't like to be around people that are holy. They don't like to be around church folk. I don't think I'm talking to them tonight because most of you are here. And thank the Lord for that. But don't let your life drift in the direction that you forsake and neglect the things of God. Forsaken means to leave behind, to abandon, or to neglect. Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, he says the church there at Ephesus left their first love. He didn't say they lost it, they left it. Something different between losing something and leaving it. They left their first love. Just a few years prior to this, it was a revival-firing church. They were doing the work of God, they were blessed of God. We read about the church of Ephesus in the book of Acts. Just a few years after that, when the book of Revelation was written, God calls them to repentance because they had left their first love. The fires of revival had been weakened and been dampened and they got the place where they were satisfied and contented to where nothing seemed to move them, nothing seemed to motivate them, and they just left their love for God. That can happen in a person's life. How much do you love God? It's up to God and you. How much do we show our love to God? Only God in heaven knows. But the fact is we can leave our love, still profess to be a Christian, but not love him. He says to love me with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And we're to love him dearly, dearly every day of our life. There ought to be a love relationship going on between you and between God. But so often we lose the touch of God's hand upon our life. And sometimes we wonder what in the world is going to happen next as we live our Christian life. I said this morning I don't want to lose the touch of God on my life. And I've been struggling quite a bit. Even with this sermon, I've been struggling for the last several days in my life. And I don't do that to get sympathy. I'm just saying this. It's been a real situation in my life. I'd rather have the touch of God than anything in the world. I don't want to lose it. I spent hours reading the Bible and praying, asking God for his enabling grace of God. I want to be, I want to finish well. I'm sure you feel the same way. I don't want to lose the touch of heaven upon my life because God's power and God's presence. Moses said, if you don't go with me, Lord, I'm not going that's what you ought to feel about your Christian life. I want to go with the help of the Lord to make whatever journey I have. And Lord, if you're not going to go with me, I just will to stop right now. Amen. I need the presence and the purpose and the power of Almighty God to see me through the battles of life. And so do you. God's not a respecter of persons. What he's done for others, he'll do for you. That great song, God, is, uh, God loves everybody. And God is not a respecter of anybody. God loves everybody equally. He loves us. You ever? There's some people difficult to love. You know anybody like that? Maybe I'm difficult to love. Maybe you're difficult to love. Maybe there's people that you work with you're difficult to love. Maybe there's people in the church you're difficult to love. But God loves them as much as He loves you. That's what blows your mind. He loves me as much as He does as everybody else, as much as Brian. He loves Brian. He loves me. He loves Willie. He loves Paul. He loves all the men. He, Lynn. he loves us all. There's nobody that God don't love And he showed that love at Calvary, and he always displays his love every day by supplying our needs. We have breath in our body, clothes on our back, food on the table, a roof over our head. God just been good to us, and yet sometimes we have a tendency to forsake that and go away from him. And Isaiah is calling the nation to repentance and giving some very scorching words from God. And God was angry, and that chastening hand of God is still important in the Christian's life. God loveth those whom He love. He chasteneth, And if you're without chastis- chastisement, you are an illegitimate child. God always chastens His children. Just like you chasten your children, God chastens His children. And every one of us has been taken to woodshed somewhere along the way, and God has dealt with us. May God help us not to lose the touch of God upon our life. May God be faithful to us as we're faithful to Him. He will be faithful. Will I be faithful? God will not leave me nor forsake me. Will I leave or forsake Him? And the farther you get away from God, the more you lose the presence of the Lord, the more you find yourself not having the touch of God, not enjoying your Christian life. When David was restored, he said, Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. And there was probably a year that David went through some miserable times in his life. He came to that place when he was confronted with his sin, and God had to deal with him. And because of that great account in Psalms 51 and Psalms 32, I think it is, when David repented, and he said, against thee and thee only have I sinned and committed this iniquity in thy sight. And he said, Lord, restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Lord, don't take my spirit away. Don't take my joy away. Don't take my spirit away. Don't take it away from me. I need that to face the battles of life. And David prayed one of those great repentant prayers that we often read of in the book of Psalms. David was always close enough to God to hear the voice of God. He may have drifted away for a while, but he's close enough to hear the prophet's voice, close enough to hear the man of God preach. And when confronted with his sin, he realized what he did, confessed that to God and got right with the Lord. God used him after that, maybe not as great as he had been in years past, but David was a man after God's own heart that failed God tremendously in his life. And sometimes the touch of God is absent from our life. And we say, oh God, oh God, please help me. Help me, hold me, hug me. Come near to me. I draw nigh to you. He says he'll draw nigh to me. If I draw nigh to him, he draws nigh to me. He'll not force himself on me. He'll not make me love him. He'll not make me walk with him. He'll not make me enjoy him. I've got to yield myself to him and the joy of God is a fruit that comes from the inside out. And what we have oftentimes is not an outside problem. It's an inside problem. I close with the Mentioned it this morning about the Roman Empire, and uh, the book by Gibbons how they compared it to a lot of things that the people do that happened in Rome, happened in America, and is happening in America now. As we read history, and as we read the newspaper, as we see things happening, sort of parallels with the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire, as great as it was, fell. And uh, I'm not saying they were a good empire, but I'm saying they were a great empire, mighty in power, and things were going well, things were going good, things were going wonderful. But they were destroyed from the inside out, not from the outside in. It wasn't an outside enemy that got them. It was somebody on the inside. Khrushchev said years ago when he took his shoe at the UN meeting and slammed it down and said, we will take America without firing a shot. And that's what they're doing. Russia, China, all the evil enemies that we have, they're buying our land. Remember how much of that they're buying? Buying it right next to the nuclear weapons arsenals. Right, past, right next to where places of productivity are being done. They're buying land all around us. Uh, things come out of China that affected us, like the dope that's coming out of Mexico has been developed in China. Little And by the way, they, they make most of our medicine. My soul, don't we want to bring that home at least for a while? I mean, I don't want Russia making my, or China making my penicillin shots because they may pin my cell into the wall. And I don't need that. I just I don't need to be having my enemy that close. They said you ought to keep your enemy close. I don't need him close enough where he's affecting my diet, affecting my medicine, affecting all those things. But I can see little by little how we are being destroyed from the inside like an insect or a termite eating away the foundation. And if the foundation falls, what will the righteous do? May God help us to stay close to God, love God, pray for God's will to be accomplished in his life, our life that He wants to do. May you pray for me and I'll pray for you that God's will can be accomplished in all of our lives. Let's stand together, please, for prayer. Our heads are about our eyes are closed. Thank you for your patience tonight. Father, we thank you for the truth of God written to us in the book of Isaiah. Thank you for the wonderful, wonderful prophecy that you gave to those people years ago, not because you hated them, but because you loved them. And Lord, there reaches, reaches a time in everyone's life when they've got to let God have his work in their life done. So Father, may you bless and pray our people. May Lord, we draw near to you. May we experience a of revival even before revival fires come and revival meeting. May Lord, we draw close to you. Lord, may your perfect will be accomplished in all of our lives. Bless the invitation. We leave it in your hands tonight in Jesus' name.